Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler, The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Junkies, guess what? We have revealed the cover for the hardcover limited edition signed numbered version of The Gangster, which is shipping really soon. We revealed that cover on the May 5th episode of Sigler in Place, the live stream we do every Wednesday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. I also posted that cover at Instagram, where you should be following me, where I'm at Scott Sigler, one word. We will put it up at facebook.com slash scottsigler, but who knows if you'll see it or not, as the feed algorithms are, are, are pretty quirky. There is still time to get your pre-order in if you don't have one already. scottsigler.com slash thegangster, one word. The special galaxy map is in printing. That is a 36 by 24 inch poster that you get free for pre-ordering the hardcover. We don't know when or if we will offer that poster individually, so if you want to be sure you have one to follow the paths of starships like the Touchback, the Oleron, the Little Ruler, and more, this is your chance. Both cover and map were designed by graphic artist Scott E. Pond. You can learn more about him over at scottpond.com. That is the news for this week. We have a newsletter going out soon with important address info for your hardcover pre-order. So make sure you're signed up over at scottsigler.com slash newsletter. Now, our guy Quentin is in a little bit of trouble. Let's get caught up on the story, and then we're all going to go into punch space together. Previously on The Gangster, Quentin was taken by the bats and locked away in a secret prison. As his torture and interrogation continues, Becca Montaigne leads the charge to force the Empire to reveal Quentin's location. With her pressure and the riots in Quentin's name that are spreading across the galaxy, how will the Kretorakian Empire respond? Find out next on The Gangster, episode number 23. Hello again, sports fans. I'm Dan Gianni. Back to you once again, as always, with my faithful companions, Akbar Smith and Hall of Fame linebacker, Tarrant the Smasher. We have a surprise guest today, Dan. We most certainly do. A, um, a most unexpected guest. I mean, we didn't have her on the schedule, so, um, you know, it's not like we asked her to call in. And I think it's important to make it clear that we aren't supporting... Dan, we have the Galaxy Bowl MVP calling into our studio. I do not think your paranoia about governmental opinion is more important than that. Hey, Tarrant, this has nothing to do with the government. We happen to have a pretty tight schedule for the show, and... Dan, you are so full of crap. Are you going to welcome our guest or not? Oh, of course. Uh, sports fans, calling us today, did I mention by total surprise, is INF Kraken's all-pro fullback and Galaxy Bowl 28 MVP, Becca the Recca Montaigne. Thank you for letting me join your show. We're honored, Rekka, truly. And Dan does not mind you calling in unexpectedly. Do you, Dan? No, no, of course not. 
You're in real time, Rekka. Are you near our studios? I'd rather not comment about my location right now. Of course, of course. So, um, so, Rekka, what are your thoughts on the chances of the Krakens repeating this year? With Barnes missing, your question is about the game. Dan, I'm surprised your ribs don't fall out of your body, because without a spine, there's nothing to hold them in place. Wait just a damn minute here. Akbar, you- Rekka, as one respected warrior to another, please say what you came to say. Dan will now be extremely quiet and allow you to speak. But this is my show! We have senses! We have an imperial edict that says Montanus better- Dan, should I come over to your seat and state my case more succinctly? Uh, go ahead, Rekka. Thank you. Quentin Barnes, my teammate and husband, was arrested by Kretorakian forces. He's still missing. I thought this show would be a good place to get the message out. The message is certainly out in the Concordia and in the Sklerno dynasty. I've seen the coverage of protests directed against Kretorakian facilities. It is a sad state of affairs. The protesting has caused injuries and deaths. Has there been no word as to the whereabouts of Quentin? None whatsoever. The Imperial government will not respond to my requests. They're trying to shut me up, which is why they put out that BS edict. Our teammates are camped out at dozens of Kretorakian offices, peacefully protesting the illegal detention of my husband. The Tweedy brothers have already been arrested twice for demanding information. And I believe the Kraken's organization is trying to find Quentin as well, although I can't be sure of that. How long has Quentin been gone? He was abducted by the Kretorakian military 17 standard days ago. Abducted? Ah, uh, that seems like a strong word, don't you think? I mean, they wouldn't arrest a citizen for nothing. He had to have done something that- Dan, I am coming to your side of the table, as I need to have a word with you. Oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Bathroom break, everybody. I'll be right back. You haven't heard from Barnes at all? Not one word over the two weeks? No, not a word. We don't know where he is. We don't know if he's safe. We don't even know if he's still alive. What about his lawyers? You've heard from them, right? He had no legal representative with him when he was taken, and as far as I know, he still has none. I haven't heard from anyone. No representation? This is an outrage. Concordia citizens have the constitutional right to an attorney. That is the nature of the Kratorakian Empire. Their laws supersede local rights on Quith planets. Only the orbital stations are completely independent of Imperial law. Rekka, we feel for you. Football fans all across the galaxy do as well. This show has a wide reach. We have millions of listeners. What do you hope to accomplish on today's show? I want the Ministry of Religion to know that the people are watching them. Quentin did nothing wrong. All he wants to do is play football and be the best he can be. They had no right to take him. I want the Empire to know that sentients aren't just going to sit around forever and watch their loved ones be kidnapped, watch people disappear. The Empire needs to know that actions have consequences. Based on the recent reports of violence committed in the name of Barnes, I believe they are getting that message. How could they not? I don't want anyone getting killed or even hurt. Quentin wouldn't want that either. So please, everyone listening to my voice, abstain from violence. Don't give the Empire a reason to strike back at you. We need to keep the pressure on them. But if there is too much violence, I fear they will kill Quentin just to make him go away for good. Wow. That's a hell of a claim. 
I know it is, but that's the reality we're facing right now. He's been gone for 17 standard days. The Empire needs to figure out they've messed with the wrong sentient. Hear me. If any harm comes to Quentin Barnes, if he dies in captivity, the Empire will be sorry. The Empire... Rekka, the local garrison is scrambling. We gotta go. Now. Rekka, who is that? Is someone there with you? I, I have to go. Let me just add that the Empire is... Broadcast was interrupted by a commercial for Centitreats, the only snack made from 100% freeze-dried centipedes. Following the commercial, there were several minutes of dead air, then a repeat of a previous Galaxy's Greatest Sports Show episode. Centitreats, they're what's tasty. The Riot A vibration woke him. He felt it in the stone floor beneath him, a shuddering tremor, distant, fast, but violent. He lay on his side in the dark cell, naked, shivering, his body unsure if it was on the rack feeling the jolts or if that was just an ever-present echo. Carmago the guard had taken away his blanket. Carmago the guard was a demon sent by the low one to turn life into an inferno of agony. The bats tortured him, yes, but Carmago dragged him to the torture. Another vibration, stronger, closer. An explosion? Was the prison under attack? The words of the doctor with a crackly voice came back to him. Stay alive. Help is coming. How many days had it been since he'd heard that? Or had it been weeks? Had it been months? Where was his family? Where were the people who claimed to love him? Where was Becca? Did she even give a damn about him? Where were Ma and Ju and John and the others? Everyone had abandoned him. He wanted to die. He wanted to kill. He wanted to slip into madness so that he might not suffer further. That explosion. An accident? Or some kind of breakout attempt? The latter should have filled him with hope, but he felt the exact opposite. Pure terror. If prisoners were rising up, trying to escape, would Carmago and the bats blame him for it? How much pain would come then? He heard his cell door unlock, the mechanized grinding sound that had become synonymous with agony. The thing that had once called itself Quentin Barnes scuttled backward to the stone wall, shaking its head. He heard himself whimper, couldn't stop himself from making that pathetic noise. The guards were coming. They would beat him, drag him to the X. Distant memories of the prideful man he'd once been. The man who thought he would not break, could not break. The man who wanted back on the field so bad, he'd had a gash on his arm sewed up with a Kevlar stitching gun meant to repair jerseys. The man who'd had a finger cut off to stay in the game. The man who took all the punishment the galaxy could dish out and kept getting up, kept moving forward, kept attacking. The memories of that man, they weren't memories of him. Couldn't be him. Couldn't be. His breath sucked in and shot out. Pain was coming. His shackled hand searched for a weapon that he knew wasn't there, a brick, a rock, a shard of glass, even a handful of sand. Like all the times before, there was nothing. 
He could already feel the shock prods jamming into his ribs, his stomach, his face. He could already feel the guards dragging him down the hall, past the closed doors of other inmates he'd never seen, his frigid skin scraping on the metal grating and exposed rock. He could already feel them binding his wrists and ankles to the metal X. Not this time. He would fight them. He wouldn't let them take him away. No, he would beg them to leave him alone. He would do both. He would do neither. Don't come near me, he screamed at his cell door. You, you come near me and I'll kill you, I swear it. His words registered in his own mind. He'd threatened his captors. Now they would hurt him even worse. I won't kill you. I won't fight. I'll be good. Just don't touch me. Don't touch me. Kill, hide, beg, crawl, punch, plead, bite. The whiplash of his body and brain searching for anything that would keep him off of the X. The metallic screech of the door swinging outward, but it only opened a little, angling a sliver of light across the cell floor. He stared, wide-eyed, nostrils flaring, a bit of drool unnoticed on his lip, waiting for the guards to come in. They did not. No more noises. No more footsteps. What was happening? Were they messing with him? Were they just outside in the corridor laughing at him? He couldn't move. He sat there. He trembled. Maybe he waited one minute. Maybe he waited ten minutes. In the cell, there was no such thing as time. He slowly crawled to the door, the motion awkward with his wrists shackled together. He felt the rough stone against his knees and hands, against his toes. Closer. He reached the door. He coiled, got his feet beneath him. He squatted low, an animal ready to dart away from danger. The door didn't open further. It didn't move at all. Body trembling, he slowly stood. He reached out, put his hand against the door, pushed gently. It opened a few inches more. He waited. Nothing. He leaned out and looked down the corridor. Empty. He saw other cell doors, green paint pitted and spotted with rust, also slightly open. At the end of the corridor, the heavy door with a small, riveted window. He'd seen that door in fits and starts, after Carmago and the others beat him so bad that he'd stopped fighting, when they dragged him through it on the way to the X. At the base of the door lay a human, gray armor, unmoving, blood on the floor around the body. The sight of the armor, it made Quentin cringe, made his lips curl back. The floor vibrated again, twice in rapid succession. He heard distant shouts, screams. Other prisoners rioting? Hide. He had to hide. They would blame him for the riot, blame him for the dead guard. Rush to his cell, shut the door, cower in the darkness and pray they didn't realize he'd been out. No, he'd done nothing. So how could they blame him? It was a trick. They kept asking where Becca was. Maybe they wanted to fool him into leading them to her. But if this was real, if there was a chance to escape, any chance at all, didn't he have to take it? He forced himself to walk toward the fallen guard. Quentin's feet felt the chill of the corridor's metal grate floor. Cold air caressed his naked skin. His legs trembled. How long since he'd had real sleep, not the shivering, shreds of eyes barely closed, terrorized stillness he'd managed between torture sessions. Moving toward the prone guard was like trying to push two positive poles of a magnet together. 
The force that was the mewling thing he'd become told him to stay in his cell, while the will of the man he'd once been told him to find a way out. Three more indecisive steps brought him closer. The guard had no helmet. Stenciled on the gray armor chestplate, a name. Carmago. A bullet hole above his blankly staring left eye. Dead. Good. Damn that beast to the low place. Carmago would never hit him again, shock him, hurt him, demean him. Carmago shock prod, still in its holster. Quentin knelt. He reached out with shackled hands, slid the shock prod free. He knew what button activated the stun charge, because time and time again he'd seen Carmago draw the weapon, hit that button, then use it on Quentin's legs, his arms, his chest, his feet, his head. The feel of the shock prod in Quentin's hands. It changed things, subtly, but significantly. Could he wear the armor? No. Even if Quentin could figure out how to remove his restraints, the dead man was far smaller. Nothing would fit. Another vibration. The distant roar of the rioters, rising slightly in volume, then fading back. Still holding the weapon, Quentin awkwardly reached for the door handle. He paused. If he went through that door, they would hurt him. Rage filled him. Rage at his own cowardice. What had he become? He'd become an animal. A simple beast with one overpowering instinct. Avoid pain. He grabbed the door handle, tested it, unlocked. He pushed the door open. Another corridor, dark and dim, lit only by a single blue emergency light that cast everything in shades of dark ice. Quentin adjusted his grip on the shock prod, then stepped over Carmago's body and walked through the door. He saw plastic crates stacked against the wall halfway down the corridor. He focused on those, one step at a time. Past the crates, at the end of the corridor was another door, this one hanging open. So weak, even with the rush of adrenaline that had carried him this far. If he had to fight someone, he didn't know if he'd be able to. He reached the crates, leaned against them, breathing heavily. He'd walked maybe twenty yards, the most he'd moved on his own since they had first thrown him in his cell. Through the far door, he saw a shadow move across the floor. Quentin slid behind the crates, crouched down low, peeked around the edge. The dark shape stepped through the far door. A human man, most of his form hidden in a cloak that seemed to merge with the shadows. He was big, maybe even GFL big, filling up the blue-tinged corridor with his bulk. Gleaming blue reflected off the massive, dull chrome pistol held in the man's hand. The barrel looked like a small cannon, and beneath the barrel, a jutting blade, as thick as an axe head. Quentin had seen weapons like that before, in the purest nation somewhere, when he'd been younger. The memory wouldn't crystallize. Too late to run. Quentin could barely walk. If he tried to flee, the man would shoot him in the back. The shadowy figure came closer. The shadows in that hood, and thick dreadlocks partly covering the man's face. Then, that face flared with glowing red lines. Something familiar about that face. Something too familiar. The man raised his pistol, aimed it at the crates. Step out where I can see you, he said. Throw out any weapon you have first. I see you with a weapon, I put you down. The voice, also familiar, but in a strange way. 
Quentin knew he had never heard that voice before, and yet he knew it all too well. Now, the man said, I won't warn you again. Quentin had nowhere to hide. He could barely stand, let alone fight. It was over. He tossed the shock prod to the floor where the man could see it. Don't shoot! I'm coming out! Quentin raised his shackled hands above his head. He stepped out from behind the crates, wobbled on weak legs, caught himself, regained his balance. The man with the face of glowing red lines lowered his pistol. He took a half-step closer. Quentin, is, is that you? The man knew him. Had to be a guard. Quentin took a slow, deep breath, tried to focus. Maybe he could find enough strength for one kick, hopefully take the man out when he came near. You're alive, the man said. Hi, one. Look at you. That damn voice. That familiar voice. Would he haul Quentin back to his cell or drag him to the X for more shocks, more torture? The man came closer. As he did, Quentin made a final decision. Better to die on his feet, fighting, than to wither away in the darkness, an animal hidden from the light. Quentin rushed forward, shackled hands reaching for the man's throat. The man twisted so fast, turning his body out of the way with the slightest of movements. Quentin tried to turn, but his legs gave out. He fell hard against the metal deck. His brain told him to scramble to his feet. His limbs refused to obey. Too much damage. Too many beatings. Too many shocks. Take it easy, the man said. I've got you. A sense of instant numbness. Coldness. That voice sounded familiar because Quentin heard one almost exactly like it every day. His own. Quentin rolled to his side. He struggled to one elbow, looked up. The red lines on the man's face faded, blinked out. Blue emergency light lit up his face. Don't be afraid, the man said. You're safe now. Quentin couldn't speak. He couldn't think. The blackness of the void seemed to enter him, fill him with emptiness. The man holstered his oversized pistol. Quentin looked into eyes that seemed impossibly familiar. Older, yes, but the same eyes that stared back at him whenever he looked into the mirror. It couldn't be. It couldn't be. Dad? The man smiled, weathered face crackling with lines etched by many years of struggle. I've got you, my son. Mind swirling with disbelief, exhaustion finally dragged Quentin into darkness. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.
As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Family Ties A small medbay, whitish walls, harsh lighting. Quentin was in a rejuve tank, smaller than he was used to, clearly meant for a normal-sized sentient. His head felt cloudy. His mouth was dry. His restraints were gone. Welcome back. That voice, so familiar, so similar to his own. You're on my ship, the Oleron. You're safe. Safe? There was no such thing. Quentin saw a blurry shape standing in front of him. He blinked a few times, clearing his vision, and found himself staring at a man. Staring at his father. Impossible, yet there he was. Quentin had once been fooled into thinking a man was his father. Quentin had believed, all the way. The man turned out to be an actor, a fake hired by Greedock. Could this be another ruse? No, this was no fake. With just one glance at a face so much like his own, Quentin knew this was his father. The real Killian Carbonaro. Physically, he appeared to be in his mid-forties, although something about him seemed far older. The way he slouched made him look smaller than he was. A big man, though not GFL size. Clumpy, gray-streaked dreadlocks, graying stubble on his face. His skin seemed to hang loose, as if he'd once been far more muscular than he currently was. The man looked wilted. No red lines now. Had Quentin imagined those, or were they hidden like John's embedded tats? Was this some kind of a trick? The bats had done this. It was a hologram or something. Carmago was going to come in and beat him again, and Quentin would scream and beg, and no one would listen, and they'd put him on the X, and it's all right the man said. You're hyperventilating. Take a breath. You're safe. Quentin's body shivered. 
He was breathing just like he'd run 10 hundred-yard sprints. Carmago wasn't coming. Carmago was dead. The man with the dreadlocks forced a smile. Do you know who I am? A war of emotions exploded inside Quentin, biting at each other like rabid dogs in a pit. Elation at finally meeting him. Hatred of him for his absence. Wanting this to be the start of something great, yet knowing it could not be. Not with the kind of person who would walk away from his children. Yeah, Quentin said. You're the guy that left your wife and kids to fend for themselves. You're the guy that let my brothers die. The man stared for a moment. He wasn't surprised by Quentin's words. Correct. I'm also the person who just rescued you. The little boy Quentin had once been suddenly flared to life, full of hopes and childish rationalizations that his father hadn't actually abandoned him, but instead had been on an important covert mission somewhere, that he'd been trapped by some evil being, and he couldn't return to his family. Not until now, in his son's darkest hour, when he'd swooped in to save the day. A heroic fairy tale. He looked around the med bay. Two heavy hospital beds, with empty brackets that had probably housed antique flat panel monitors. The med bay looked like it had once held four of the beds, but two had been removed to make room for the rejuvenation tank, which was bolted to the deck with mismatched bits of metal. A medical holotank was secured to the wall in much the same fashion, as if it had been added as an afterthought. But that was crazy. Holotanks had been standard for over a century. How old is this ship? Old, Killian said. Best damn bucket of bolts you ever laid eyes on. She runs fine. Quentin returned his attention to the middle-aged man. Without him, Quentin would still be in that cell, in the cold and dark, or on the X, enduring that undeniable agony. Harsh feelings or no, that act deserved recognition, gratitude. Thank you for rescuing me. You're welcome. Do you know my name? Killian Carbonaro, Quentin said. Why is my last name Barnes, anyway? It's the name of a good person who saved my life. A person of honor. Honor. What a concept coming from the man who hadn't been there. The man whose absence led to years of Quentin being shamed and subjugated. Years of hopeless, back-breaking labor. Years of fighting for his dignity, for his self-respect, even for his very life. Because... He was an orphan, when in truth, he'd never been an orphan at all. Killian could have done something about that. Could have, but instead, he'd done nothing. And if Quentin hadn't won the genetic lottery, hadn't been born with the size, strength, speed, and intellect that made him a quarterback, he would still be in the mines, fighting every day just to have enough to eat. He would still be going to sleep every night, wondering if he'd wake to the sensation of a blade sliding between his ribs. You deserted us. You could have at least had the decency to leave me with my real family name. If I had, you'd have died a long time ago. What was that supposed to mean? Quentin didn't really care. It was probably something the man told himself to justify what he had done to his family. Uh, Feels like I've been under for a bit. About twelve hours. Killian said. Enough for one punch, at least. How far are we away from that prison? The older man winced. We haven't left yet, I'm afraid. Quentin went still. He heard his pulse in his ears. The restraint bruises at his wrists and ankles started to tingle. 
Carmago was dead, but there were other guards and the X. Why, in shucking High One's name, would we still be here? It's a long story, Killian said. It's a matter of a payment. Believe it or not, this is the second time we've broken someone out of this place. The same inside contact helped us both times. Trouble is, due to unforeseen circumstances, we left the last time without paying her. What kind of unforeseen circumstances? Killian paused, seemed to gather his thoughts. The person who was supposed to pay her got killed during the escape attempt. There's a lot of details I'm not going to get into with you right now. In short, we had to get away fast. When we came back to get you, the contact was ready for us. She has an automated missile launcher locked on the ship. We control the prison's defense systems, but she cut the launcher off from the network. If we go near the launcher, it fires. If we try to take off, it fires. If the Oleron's engines even warm up, it fires. We'll be scattered all over this asteroid. Quentin raised an eyebrow. Asteroid? Yes, asteroid, Killian said. This is the secret place where the Kretorakians send sentience that they don't want found. The facility doesn't even have an official name. The prison staff calls it the Borehole. A good a name as any, Quinn supposed. Better than Living Hell, which is what the place really was. I thanked you for rescuing me, but I guess that was premature. If the contact needs to be paid, I've got money. I can pay. Unless it was a sum even more astronomical than his bank account. I wish it was that easy, Killian said. We're in an area called the quiescence. Signals can't go in or out, which means any transaction can't reach the galactic network and become official. Not to mention the fact that if the contact who works here gets a payment from Quentin Barnes, who escaped from here, it's going to be a tiny bit suspicious. A fair point. So I can't pay the contact, Quentin said. And you can't pay the contact. How exactly do we get this sentient paid so we can get the hell out of here? Killian shrugged. My crew is working on that. Our best option right now is to find a way to use your money to acquire something non-traceable, then give that to the contact. Except she won't let us go anywhere until we pay. We're, uh, we're in a bit of a pickle. Was this some kind of shakedown? Probably not. If the man wanted money, why not just name his price? It wasn't like Quentin could get away without him and his ship. And the longer Killian stayed here, the more danger he was in of getting caught. As strange as the setup sounded, Quentin believed it. How much is she owed? One million, Killian said. That squares us for both escapes. A massive sum, or at least it was for most people. If Quentin got away from this place, it was a small price to pay. I could cover that. Killian nodded. Good to know, but your ability to pay doesn't solve our problem with how we get her paid. Believe me, we all want to get out of here just as bad as you do. Quentin almost laughed at that sentiment, as if anyone could want to be away from this place as much as he did. Where are we exactly? An asteroid belt inside Kretorakian territory, Killian said. There's a planetoid in the area called Big Rock. That's the punch point for this sector. Basically, the spot we're in is equidistant between Kretorak, Emperor II, and Emperor III. So we're near the Concordia border. Not near enough, Killian said. 
were closer to Credorock than to Concordia territory. Yeah, I know. Dangerous stuff. Dangerous stuff. A blasé way to describe it. The bats destroyed anything that came anywhere near their home planet. Killian and his crew had taken a huge risk coming here. The Quith controlled this sector before the takeover, Killian said. They'd burrow into an asteroid, hollow it out, build a self-contained facility, mine it from the inside, then haul the finished product back home. When the Quith achieved FTL status, they started punching smaller asteroids straight into their growing orbital stations. By the time the bats had their big coming-out party, these asteroid mines were already abandoned. The bats just moved into one, this one, and turned it into a prison. The days before punch space travel. A hard thing to get one's head around. Pre-FTL, Quentin said. Must have taken entire lifetimes for the Quith to bring material back from this area. Try multiple lifetimes. Entire generations were born, lived, and died out here, without ever seeing their home planet. Space was big. Distance, though, was relative. Trips that had once taken maybe centuries to traverse could now be done in days, even part of a day. We're in the middle of nowhere at a secret prison that no one knows about, Quentin said. So how did you know I was here? Our inside contact told us. When you were brought in, he pointed to his face, she recognized our resemblance. I get that every now and then, but I don't spend a lot of time with anyone other than my crew. For the most part... The resemblance gets me a passing glance, a casual second take. She saw me up close. She saw you up close. She took a chance and contacted Aya. Who's Aya? Our comms whiz kid, Killian said. You'll meet her soon enough, and the rest of the crew. More sentience Quinn did not know. Could they be trusted? Could Killian, for that matter? What if this really was some elaborate setup? This contact. Does she know I'm your son? Killian shrugged. Probably. Like I said, she hadn't been paid for the first breakout. She probably figured that if you were family, I'd come. But even if you weren't, I might still try to break out someone as rich as you. Either way, here we are. The woman with the crackly voice. Stay alive. Help is coming. Quentin wanted to know more about her. More about the rescue attempt. But the damaged little boy inside him would not shut up. The boy who had cried out for love for someone to protect him. That boy needed to know why he'd suffered, why he'd had no one, why he'd had to live like an animal fighting for survival day in and day out. This is the first time in my life I've seen you, Quentin said. It's not like I'm some anonymous person leading a quiet existence, someone you could miss. Even if you claim you didn't know I was alive when I was on McCovey, once I won the Galaxy Bowl, there is no way you didn't see my face somewhere. You chose to stay away. You obviously didn't give a damn about me. Then I wind up in this shucked-up prison, and you risk your ship, your life, and the lives of whatever crew you have to rescue me? Why? Killian looked at the floor. Because you're my son. How long had Quentin waited to hear those words from his real family? Yet now, when they finally came, when they were finally real, they felt worthless. Too many empty years. How long was I in there? Nineteen standard days. Three weeks. They'd kept him naked and shivering for three weeks. They'd tortured him almost nonstop for three shucking weeks. 
Quentin remembered how he'd broken, how he'd desperately told the bats anything he thought they wanted to hear. Had he done that after one week? After two? After only a couple of days? He didn't know. He didn't want to know. Pain shot through his body. For a moment, he thought he'd been tricked, that the rejuve tank was electrified, yet another way to hurt him. Then he realized that the pain had been not imaginary, exactly, but not real, either. Are you all right? Quentin opened his eyes, stared at his father. No, I'm not. Killian bit his lip, thought for a moment. I know what you're going through, he said. I know what it's like to be tortured. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Quentin wasn't in the mood to swap stories. Does my family know I'm here? No one does, Killian said. Your wife is raising hell, though. She's given at least a dozen interviews saying the bats abducted you. The story's raging across the galaxy. Sentients are angry. There have been protests on several planets. Protests. Sentients getting hurt. Because of Quentin. We have to let Becca know I'm okay. Her and a few others. We have to send her a message. Killian's brow furrowed. We can't, he said. I told you, we're in the quiescence, a communications dead zone. It's part of how the bats keep the place a secret. They have dampers or jammers or something. No one knows how they work, not even the big brains in the League of Planets. This facility can communicate with nearby ships by line-of-sight, tight-beam optical, but that's it. Any signal we send not only won't make it out of the area, it will get detected and bring the bats in force. Then send a punch beacon. We're probably one full punch away from Ineth, right? We launch a punch beacon without the contact turning off the missile battery, and we're toast, Killian said. And even if we could launch a beacon, we're too far from the punch point. It would have to travel to Big Rock via impulse speed before punching to Ineth, a process that could take a day or more. Until we figure out how to get the contact paid, we're not going anywhere. We're safe here for a few days, but only if we stay silent. Before you can let anyone know what's going on, we need to be well away from this place. Quentin could only imagine how upset Becca was, not even knowing if he was alive. Chodo would be none too happy either. Had Becca told Ma, John, and Ju what had happened? You said we're safe for a few days. How? Did you kill the prison staff or something? Killian smiled, a distant, rueful thing. That's not how I work, he said. The borehole is mostly automated. There's a skeleton crew of about 20 sentients, mostly human and quith, plus a platoon of Kretorakian soldiers that are supposed to react to escape attempts, riots, that sort of thing. We have staff and bats alike locked up. The ones that survived the riot, anyway. Carmago's body blocking the hallway door. How long until the Kratorakians send forces to retake this place? Hard to know, Killian said. The bats don't realize it's lost yet. Like I said, this is the second time we've hit this place. We know the computer system. The first time we were here, we left a Trojan horse in their network, or a backdoor, whatever you call it, which let us take complete control. We quietly shut down their external comms, locked down their fighter craft and punch beacons, then opened the cell doors. In the chaos that followed, we were able to fly right in. The man made it sound so simple. It can't be that easy, Quentin said. The Bat government doesn't check in with this place. They don't bring in new prisoners. Killian shrugged. He shrugged a lot, Quentin noticed. I never claimed it was easy, Killian said. 
There's no regular communication in or out of the borehole. They limit inbound or outbound ship transit as much as possible. What helps keep this facility hidden also keeps anyone from knowing what just happened. They have a dedicated ship that's used to go out and get new prisoners. That ship is here. The two sentient crew is locked up like the rest, so we won't have a surprise prisoner drop-off. Quentin thought of Tiger Stripe and Angel Wings. What happens if there's another prisoner that needs to be brought here? When the bats call for that ship and it doesn't come? Well, then we're busted, Killian said. My crew will figure out a payment system soon, and when they do, we're gone. Quentin shivered despite the rejuve gel's heat. No way to predict when the bats might arrive. He might be back in his cell before he could get clear. You said you let all the prisoners out. How'd you get control of the place again? Once we landed, we used the borehole's riot control system to gas them, Killian said. They're all back in their cells. Quentin wondered how many of those prisoners had spent time on the Metal X, feeling shock after shock course through their body. What about that guard in my cell block? Did you kill him? No. Our contact inside did that. There was nothing I could do about it. Quentin closed his eyes, saw Carmago's blood spreading across the floor. Shock prods coming down, armored fists, booted feet, all to make Quentin stop struggling, to take the fight out of him so they could drag him to the... Quentin? Quentin blinked, realized he was breathing hard again. His heart kicked in his chest. He gripped the sides of the rejuve tank, forced his breathing to slow. I guess I'm still a little shaken up. Considering that you stiffed your inside contact, she's got missiles aimed at you, and the bats could show up at literally any moment... You seem pretty calm. Killian's small smile exaggerated the wrinkles at the corners of his eyes. Panicking doesn't solve problems, he said. And it's better for everyone when I stay calm. Like I told you, this is our second time here. We're gonna figure this out. Quentin could only hope the man was right. Who did you spring the first time? Anyone I would have heard of? Killian opened his mouth to speak, shut it. Something about the gesture told Quentin it wasn't just someone he'd heard of, it was someone he knew. But aside from Greedock, his thugs, and a few other team owners, Quentin didn't know anyone who would be brought to a place like this. But he did know someone. Yitzhak Goldman, Quentin said. Killian nodded. The man Quentin had, unknowingly, helped put away. He'd been here, at the borehole. Is he okay? Last time I talked to him, he was, Killian said. We got him out. He went his own way. I hope he's still alive. Quentin had helped Yolanda Davenport track down messages sent to Zoroastrian Guild Terrace. Those messages had been sent by Zack. A deep, shuddering sensation of guilt at the thought of Zack strapped to the metal axe, writhing in agony. Tortured because of Quentin. But there was no reason to feel guilt. Quentin hadn't forced the man to work with the guild. Zack was a terrorist. Wasn't he? Kimberlin claimed Zack was somehow one of the good members of the guild. The guild slaughtered civilians. How could there be good members? Maybe there was no right or wrong. Maybe there was no black and white. Everything was strange shades of gray. Why did you break Zack out? How do you know him? We'll talk about that later. Killian said. It's a long story. This man seemed to have many long stories. 
Then tell me about your inside contact. She's a doctor? Killian nodded. Right now, she's in a cell, just like the guards and staff who survived the riot. The secret to a proper inside job is to make it look like it's not an inside job. If we miss something, and the Kratorak can surprise us, she's locked up just like her co-workers. Another blast of needle-like ghost pains coursed through Quentin's body, echoes of the endless electric shocks. He closed his eyes, wrote it out, wondered how long his own brain would play such evil tricks on him. From the Medbay speaker film came a high-pitched voice. Skipper? Go ahead, Killian said. The prisoners have all been fed, the voice said. No sign of an approaching Kretorakian ships. When do we get to meet your progeny? Soon, Killian said. Get back to work. The faintest of clicks, signifying the sentient on the other end, had broken the connection. Strange voice, Quentin said. What species? Sklorno male. It's Beans, our engineer. A male Sklorno engineer? Had to be some kind of a joke. But Quentin would worry about that later. He'd been penned up long enough. He needed to move. He started to climb out of the rejuve tank. His arms were so weak, they trembled. Hold on, Killian said. You took a lot of damage in there. You should stay in for another day or so. And the med bay's fabricators almost finished making you a replacement tooth. Quentin's arm shook as he pushed himself up. You've never acted like a father, so don't start now. The words came out strong. Strong and harsh. Killian closed his eyes. At least let me find you some clothes, he said. I'll let you know when your tooth is done. With that, he walked to the door and was gone. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.